Hi everyone, welcome to the I Don't Know Show with Joe. I'm Joe and I don't know much about financial planning, but my guest Brad does. Brad, thank you for joining the show. Thanks for having me. Brad, what is financial planning? What does that term refer to? Financial planning is the strategy that you might use in order to get uh, to achieve your financial goals and whatever your financial goals might be. Um, the financial goals that I think are the most relevant to this conversation is growing wealth. Okay. And when you say growing wealth, I guess everybody can define that how they want to, but how, how do you know what your financial goals should be? I mean, beyond um, something specific, like I want to be able to afford this house or I want to be able to retire not broke. Like other than that, like, is there like, how do you define wealth? Like how, how do you know what you should want? That's actually a very personal decision. Some people are perfectly happy if they retire on a beach somewhere and they don't need any frills. They don't need anything. Some people are, have a very, you know, they want to be a multimillionaire by the time they retire. Uh, some people have kids, they want to get through college and pay for all that stuff. And some people don't, and that's not really part of their financial planning, their, their, their wealth, their, their, you know, just part of how they view finances. Yeah. So it is actually a very personalized question to each individual. And that's a question that each person should really ask themselves before they start setting out their, their financial planning goals is what is my, what is my goal for life? Mm -hmm. And then I can decide on the financial Such picture. A hard question though. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I, it's kind of a prerequisite to actually decide what your financial goals are is first of all, what are your goals? Right. And then you could make a plan around your building your finances toward to achieve that goal. Right. Interesting. All right. So, so what are some key principles in effective financial planning? Um, I'd say some key principles are knowing how much money is coming in, knowing how much money is going out, um, being responsible with if it's going to be investments or if it's taking on debt, all that stuff understanding what you're doing, what you're getting yourself into, and is it going in the direction that you want to go in terms of your financial goals? Gotcha. Do you use any tools to keep track of that? Like I like using Mint. I don't know if you like Mint using Mint is a popular like one. I used Mint for many years. Um, I switched over to just a, a good old spreadsheet. Uh-huh. Um, but Mint is a good tool. My only real Mint is closing, but they're transferring everything to Credit Karma. I don't know what the difference is. It's yet. honest. They're all owned by Intuit. Yeah. And it's really like they're not really they're closing it as a, its own entity, but it's right. all Intuit has all your data. And that's actually one of the reasons I stopped was for privacy concerns. Because, <laughs> I gave up on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that, but that's, you know, it depends on what your priorities are. For me, I didn't need the the transaction by transaction uh -huh. tracking as much. So uh, that's why I stopped using Mint, but I use it for 10 years and it's a great tool. Uh -huh. Another good tool that I've heard people have used and have really liked is you need a budget, YNAB. Uh -huh. um, and that's also a really good tool that people use. It integrates well. It is a paid tool. It's the only difference between that uh -huh. and Mint, but Honestly, with Mint, you're paying with your own by, by you being the product. So right, and, and you need a budget is not selling your data. I don't know if they're selling. I don't know what they're doing with it. I haven't used it that much, but I've heard some really good reviews on it, and people who have used it said that it's been very effective for their own financial planning. And and that's but that's really focused on budgets. Yeah, and that's only one part of your arsenal uh, when you're thinking about about uh, your finances. And so you said you don't you don't any longer track your transactions or do you track it a different way? Personally, I don't because I've developed the discipline to gen to know about what I'm doing and everything tracks well. But I do recommend for people who are starting out, especially if you're not really good at managing your money, mm -hmm. is have a system, whether it's writing it down by hand, whether it's using Mint, whether it's using you need a budget, Use some sort of system where every dollar, you know where every dollar that you have is going. Yeah. Like, 
uh, one uh, Dave Ramsey, who's a, 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 I'll probably be quoting him a bunch because I'm uh-huh. a big fan of him. Although there are certain areas where I disagree with him, um, but he likes to say every dollar needs to have a name. Yeah. So you need a way to put a name to every dollar of what this dollar that's going out of your pocket is going to do for your life. And that's what, whatever tool you decide to use for that, that's the end goal of what you're doing. Yeah. I, I like to use Mint for the transactions, not just, um, I, I don't think I'm bad at, at managing my, my money or, or paying off bills. Like I have everything set to auto pay. But the problem is that a lot of times there are charges that I don't recognize and then I have to like fight the credit card company about it or uh, return something I forgot that I bought or uh, you know something, some annual fee hit that somehow I was still signed up for, I have to go cancel it. And if I don't look at my transactions, um, I won't see it. Like I just paid off, uh, I have a corporate card now, so I paid for the rewards using my personal card cost $55 to sign up for the rewards. They charged me three times that $55. And then they gave me one refund and they gave me one refund for less than $55. And so I had to call them and say, and and if I didn't track my transactions that closely, I would never have caught it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a difference between auditing your transactions, which is just looking over every transaction and also then budgeting your transactions yeah when you're budgeting you're actually giving a name to it when you're just auditing it you're just making sure that there's nothing unauthorized or nothing like accidental kind of what you're describing um and that's so so, i mean i i pretty much look at my my credit cards every single day Uh or every other day and just and i'm the only user on it which makes it a lot easier we just have to log into every credit card and look at it separately yeah i don't know to me it's just uh it's there are yeah it doesn't it's not as complicated as it sounds um but for me it is i've got a lot of cards and we can talk about whether that's a good thing or not yes we we can get to that (laughs) but i pretty much have like three different accounts that i that i use on a regular basis and those are the ones that i'm watching um and then the other ones i don't need to check every every day but if i see a charge on one of those that's a red flag because Uh because i don't expect to have a charge on those is there is there such a thing as too many credit cards that depends on your financial goals. Well, put it this way. Um, I'm, I'm only paying for two of them, and that's only because I like playing the points game, and, uh, and I don't plan to stick with both of them forever. Um, one of them is going to go as soon as I stop getting retention offers. Um, and the rest of them are all free cards. So it, like, I don't see any harm in keeping a free card open. So I guess the question of specifically, if you're going to talk about credit cards is a, are you maintaining a balance month to month on them? And not on every single one. Okay. But are there cards that you're maintaining a balance month to month on? And yes. so that's one thing which I would, I would kind of hone in on. And secondly, like even if you're not maintaining a balance, but what is the value to what is the value to you to have it open? Is there a cost effectively? And some of them have monthly, uh, sorry, uh, annual fee. Yeah. And those ones you might want to consider. Most almost every credit card that I'm aware of has some sort of like feature where you can downgrade it to a like yep. a lesser card which doesn't have a monthly uh, an annual fee. Yeah. Um. So consider doing that rather than closing it. Yeah out but again you have to know what your goals are for some people credit cards are and we can talk about credit cards a lot more for some people credit cards are are like it's like a gambling addiction in a sense right the same idea where you just it feels like free money you use it you end up getting yourself and in, deeply into consumer debt um and some people want to go cold turkey and they, and they cut up all their credit cards and they close all their accounts yeah and it's just but that's their financial goals yeah. So the first thing you really need to do is determine what are your financial goals and then decide how how and do and how do credit cards fit into that. How do you think people develop that mindset of, um, you know, can't handle a credit card, spending too much, can never pay it off type of thing? It's not new to me. I've heard it, but I, I, I don't – I can't imagine it. Like how how does one – I don't know if you know, I'm not saying you know the answer, but how, how does somebody uh, come into that mindset? 
I think if I'm understanding your question correctly, it's more of a it's a it's a mindset of a lot of times people don't have financial goals. Mm-hmm. And so they just kind of view the credit card as something that they can use until the money runs out, uh, which is the way a lot of people use credit cards. And that's actually what the credit cards companies bank on. Mm-hmm. And that's how they make their money. And then people get themselves into consumer uh, consumer debt, credit card debt, which has a incredibly high uh, interest rates on it. So, uh-huh. so the credit card companies are more than happy if you're you're maintaining a balance month over month. But what what but percentage? But you're not going to grow wealth that way. What percentage of the credit card debt that is being collected with high interest rates, how much of that is actually paid off versus how much money does the credit card company lose by giving out these loans that aren't paid back? You're well, saying you're talking on, about people on net, they're making up, they're making up the no, money. Not too many people are defaulting. I mean, some people obviously are defaulting and they're going to, they're the ones who are going to lose their credit scores. Their credit scores right. are going to tank and no one's going to offer them credit anytime soon after that. But oh, you're that's saying a small if, percentage. if I, I I could I could just have a credit card and just pay the minimum every month and whatever else I'm not paying off is getting charged interest, but I'm not in trouble with anybody. No, it's not no. going to collections. Exactly. It's not affecting my credit. The minimum is what's required for it to not affect my credit, but I'm still getting charged interest on those future months at a, probably a high rate, and that's where they're making their money. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah, and they they want you to do that. They want you to carry a balance month, month to month because they know you're paying 20%, 30% each month that you don't pay it off in full, and that's money into their pocket. They're, yeah. That's how they make their money. That's why they're offering you all the points because they're trying to to lure you into, into getting this card, and then they're hoping that you're going to maintain the balance. And... Clearly enough, people do that, which right. is why they, which is why the points system operates. Yeah, I love points. They used to be easier, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, we could talk about that another time. So um, I've heard people give uh, percentages, like this percent of your income should go to rent or mortgage. This percent should go to food. This percent should go to savings. Do you know like what those percentages should be on average? Is it different for everybody? Well, it comes back to the thing we started at. What are your financial goals? Yeah. Are your financial goals, like for some people, or their life goals, some people want to live in, you know, the middle of Manhattan. Yeah. Let's say. I'm just using that as an example of a really high rent, a high price, yeah. high housing, very expensive place to live. And they're willing to give up a retirement plan because they want to live there. Uh huh. For them, yeah, go 60%. I mean, I don't think you're going to be building wealth that way, uh-huh. but if that's what you want and that's what your lifestyle is, that's what you want your lifestyle to be, or people don't want, don't want to work. Uh-huh. So, and they'd rather do a part-time job and therefore the percentage they're actually paying that, that they're, that they're spending toward their, their needs are going to be much higher because right. their income's much lower. Again, like that, I, w- I can't tell you that your percentage is wrong because that's, it's getting you to your goal. I think what you really have to focus on is, is your goal to build wealth? Mm -hmm. If your goal is to build wealth, now we have a starting point to talk about percentages. Otherwise, the question is kind of irrelevant. The question doesn't have meaning for the general public because it's so individualized for someone's particular situation and life goals. Gotcha. All right. So if, if we're talking about building wealth, the, is that talking about for ourselves, for our family, for future generations? What what do, what do people normally mean when they say well, that? Well, primarily you mean it for yourself and your spouse if you're married. Um, some people, especially if they have kids or plan to have kids, are also thinking about the next generation, which is totally makes sense. Um, but uh, on its simplest, simplest form, I would say building wealth starts with you. Mm-hmm. You building your personal wealth. Okay, and that is uh, making an income, saving uh, a portion of it, investing a portion of that, and accumulating wealth over time. Yes, that's. All right, so what are some, uh, some key steps to take there to make sure that you're doing that part right? That's a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> so... I'm not going to address the percentages, although I could give you rough numbers. Um, they they still kind of depend on your situation. Are you a very, if you're a very high income individual, then 
you know, you're even if you're putting 60% of your income toward rent, you still may have a ton of money left over. Uh-huh. So saying percentages is a little tricky because right. it does depend on, on your individual situation. Um, but I'm going to lay out certain steps that that I would recommend for anyone who okay. wants to build wealth. Um, number one is minimize debt, okay. particularly high interest debt. That is credit cards. Credit cards are probably the worst offender. Um, Not student loans? Credit cards? If, if you look at percentage, uh, there, well, so there's two different ways of looking at it. Okay. Do you look at the total amount? And in that case, again, every individual, you could have $100,000 credit card debt. That's happens and it's possible yeah but i'm viewing it mostly in terms of like the interest rates that you're paying on the debt Uh uh-huh so i'm going to assume that your credit card but this may not be the case for everyone but your credit card is most likely going to have the highest interest rate or actually payday loans and loans like that actually usually have even higher interest rates yeah um then then tends to come like consumer debt like credit cards um, then will come car debt usually, then will come student loans and then, and then will come like mortgages and stuff like uh-huh. that. It really just depends on like how secure the debt is. Right. Uh, the, the more secure the debt is, the lower the rates you'll be paying. But if you have $10,000 worth of student loans and, or sorry, let's flip it around. If you have a hundred thousand dollars worth of student loans and you have $10,000 of credit cards, the actual interest payments you're paying to, to the lenders may be the same. Um, because the because the amount is so different, yeah. even if the rate is significantly less, the amount you're being you're being charged on is so much more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So okay, so stay out of debt. Stay or out of reduce stay, your debt. Stay out of debt. The first thing I would tell people because most people have a bad, um, or I would say an unhealthy relationship with debt, is just sit down one month and. Write out all your expenses and write out how much is interest that you're paying for for debt. Wow. And for many people, you'd be absolutely shocked. Like between your credit cards, between your car payment, between your – if you have a mortgage, with your mortgage uh, interest, um, if you have um, student debt, which a lot of people do, um, you're, that's, there's a lot of interest there as well. If you have any other sort of loans where, like, if you realize that, you know, maybe I'm going to make up a number here. Yeah, yeah. It could be. It's very possible that, you know, one third of your monthly expenses are going toward interest. Wow. And if you can figure out a way to cut that out of your life, you're you're giving yourself a raise of, of yeah. 33%. So that's wild. That how, how many people do you think have uh, a percentage of uh, interest payments that high? Is it very widespread? It's a lot more widespread than you'd think wow. because there isn't an, and I'm sure if you talk to people about this, like there isn't a ton of people are not very disciplined and there isn't a ton of education about it. And um, that may be a little bit intentional by, you know, or at least the lenders don't, oh, really, yeah. they don't really want you to, oh, they yeah. want to make it easy to get into debt. In fact, you see all these like newer products out there like like a firm or uh-huh. where they offer you like you're checking out on your on your amazon uh-huh. and they're like oh nine easy payments instead of one payment yeah no but a, a firm i did a i did a uh when i got my cell phone i did a firm because it gave me interest-free payments i do the same thing like i don't i don't sure. go into pay interest on my credit card but once in a while amex or chase will say Hey, do you want to split this payment up? We'll give you, we'll let you do it in four interest-free payments. And th- sure. in that case, I I take it. But otherwise, I don't take it. But why are they giving? Why are they offering it to you? I think they they want to the, the same reason the st- store puts things on sale. So you buy th- other things in the store. I think they want you to say, oh, that was nice that I was able to split it up. I'll I'll do it again in the future. And either I'll be okay with paying the interest or I won't realize because last time it was free. I just assumed it's free again. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's what they're doing. They're they're getting you in the door. And then once you're in the door, you're but more I ain't likely. But I no sucker, yo, so I don't, I don't fall for <laughs> it. Look, if you don't fall for it and you're responsible about it, then by all means. That's, that's what I think about credit cards, too. If you're able to use a credit card responsibly and never pay interest but only get the benefits of the points. Dave Ramsey won't agree with this, but this is my this is my opinion. Um, 
then then by all means do it but but you need to know yourself and know if you have the financial discipline uh-huh and some people it's not even a lack of financial discipline it's just like like i have a, a good friend of mine who will just like the way she views money is if it's in the say if it's in if it's in her account it will get used so wow. she has to like make sure all her bills get paid before she even looks at her account because it just that's her assumption Every, anything that's left in the account after the the bills are paid are going to is going to be spent and she will not use credit cards for that reason because you never hit the end so interesting i'm like so the opposite of that it yeah. gets so like every thing i buy needs to be justified in my head i don't care how much money i have in the bank is this thing worth it? Yeah. <laughs> and I like, I, I just, I, I don't know. I just can't do that. Spend all my money thing. Cause like, <laughs> I just can't, <laughs> but you'd be surprised how many people could and do. And, that, and they're the ones who get themselves into trouble down the line, unless they have the discipline yeah. to avoid it completely. Where, where I do uh, do that is uh, gambling and more specifically in the stock market, because gambling in a casino Although I have lost a fair share before, I haven't lost my hat or my house. Like I'm, I am, uh, I'm pretty capped. Even if it's a big cap, um, I've never been in in a place that like, oh, now I'm totally fucked after leaving the casino. But the stock market's scary because I've got almost all my money in there. Um, been hearing the R word a lot. Should I be worried? <laughs> I'm not an economist, um, I, but I'll tell you how I do things. I don't play individual stocks unless it's just like a very, I have a very small fund, like uh, $2,000 or something like that, which is my play money. And yeah, I'll play around. And if I lose that, I don't care. I mean, I care, but I'm not like, it's not going to devastate yeah. me financially. Um, with my, and this is just my, the way my personal strategy is, diversifying effectively. So I'll yeah. buy only almost only ETFs. Yeah. Um, and, and in that sense, like I'm not at risk of, of, uh, individual stocks, um, you know, plummeting. I'm also not, I'm also, you bet my, my risk tolerance is low as like, that's just my personality. And yeah. that's just how I view, uh, smart financial. Like I don't, I don't, uh, I don't gamble either. Yeah. Um, but hey, if you like gambling, you get the thrill from it, and you're yeah. responsible <laughs> about like not lose, you know, never putting the house on on the line or something like that, never putting your hat in. Yeah. Um, then go for it by all means. Just, yeah. It's more about knowing your limits and knowing where to draw the line. Yeah, and those are all very good points, and I'm hesitant to even say what I do because it's not good advice. But uh, <laughs> but I I do want to say like so. When I started investing, it was a completely gambling for me. Um, then I went to business school, and, uh, and and Brad is correct. You should just buy ETFs, diversify. That's the way to do it. Then trades started becoming free. Yep, that's and now it's never free. It's never free because <laughs> because uh, it used to cost. Uh, at least three ninety five each time you wanted to buy or sell, and so you weren't incentivized to buy one of this stock, one of that stock, because each one's costing you four dollars every time you do it, right. no matter the quantity. So, but then it became free, and so that was my opportunity to start buying individual stocks again because for me it's more fun. Um, I use Fidelity, and they have a. Uh, there's a guy I could talk to every year, um, nice. and he said I'm way too risky. <laughs> <laughs> and he t- and he told me because if I if he didn't tell me I wouldn't even have known how many stocks I owned. I own over a hundred stocks. I it, before that conversation would have said yeah I don't know I've got like twenty or maybe right. I didn't even realize how many I had. Um, Actually, the before this podcast, once upon a time, I, I did a stock podcast, which was not um, to give people advice, but just to uh, show you all the fun I was having managing my portfolio. And that, uh, that was in uh, 2021. 
And that lasted a few weeks, and then <laughs> everything crashed down, and I stopped the podcast because it stopped being fun. Because it's not fun <laughs> it's not when fun. you're losing. <laughs> yep, that's, that's how everyone felt on a high in 2021. Yeah, and 2022 was a real slap in the face for all those people. Yep, and it was a very uh, stinging slap in the face. And I take back what I said before because I was in debt because I took out money on margin, uh, and yes. that was actually, I mean, that was like my day and night trying to get out of that margin debt because that was, I, I don't like being in debt and I don't like paying interest. That's the only time in my life I've ever been in debt and it was not a fun feeling. Yeah, it's not. And people who get themselves in debt tend to not realize until they're already deep in it. Yeah. And at that point, it's, it's, it's not easy to crawl out and it doesn't feel good. And it's a big weight on your shoulders. Yes. Every month, you know, you got to have that payment. Yes. And God forbid you lose your job. You have other, you know, emergency, whatever you, you still need to pay that debt. Otherwise you're going to be in big trouble and there's going to be other issues that are going to happen. Yeah. So yeah, it's all about responsibility when it comes to, it's almost better to not, get into debt to start. That's really what I think. Yeah. Um, but if you're willing to get in debt and there are situations that I do think debt is acceptable. Yeah. I mean, if you have a, like a solid business plan and you need a loan and it's not like a payday loan, it's like a normal loan and you have a concrete plan on, on paying it back. I, I mean, there's plenty of things where it would make sense to take out a loan. Um, you know, like you mentioned house or car, like, you know, there's plenty of uh, things like that. I would agree with you on the house. I don't agree with you on the car actually. Okay. And I'll tell you why the way I see debt is it's only justified when it's leverage. Uh huh. So if you're using debt because you think that the, whatever you're spending the principal on is going to increase in value, then it just becomes a question of risk. What's your risk tolerance? Uh -huh. So a business, yes, I you'd like to think and that your business is going to increase in value. So the money you'll make from taking on the debt will exceed the amount of money you're paying in interest. Uh -huh. Same with the house. Your assumption is that the house is going to increase in value. Uh -huh. So you'll make more money than how much you're paying in mortgage in the mortgage interest. Okay. However, a car cars never go up in value. Right. So. You're pay all that all that interest is never going to pay for itself. Yes, so but I, I think would argue there's another that factor not to take or I would advise not to take uh, debt on a car to, to not finance either not e finance either yes. lease or buy it outright. I'm not even sure if you should lease, but at least you're acknowledging that when you lease that you, the money you're spending every month is going to be flushed down the toilet. Yeah. So, so, all right. So I think when you're, you're flushing money down the toilet, there's another factor, which is the present value of money. And that means that if I can pay you, uh, you know, a $15,000 now or spread that over the next few years, even with an extra charge, that might be more worthwhile to me to have that extra money. Uh, whether to invest in the market, I think that's the primary use case, right? How much would I make in the market with the my other $14,000 that I haven't paid you yet versus the interest payment? And a lot of times that's going to be higher than the interest payment and that justifies financing. So that's your risk tolerance question, but just remember debt is always there and invest. if you did this in 2021, you know, you'd be underwater right now. Yeah. So that comes down to risk tolerance. Um, and for that reason, as a conservative investor, right. I, I would recommend not doing that. Uh -huh. um, yes, you could, you could also make money in, way, in very unexpected ways. You can, make, you can make money gambling. You make a lot of money gambling. Yeah, but that's not a reliable measure. Like I think usually when you calculate net present value of money, you're looking at like the average treasury bond bill rate, like something that's like a secure thing that you could invest in reliably most of the time. And I think that's what the calculation uses for net present value. Yeah. And, and you could view it that way. And some people do, but just remember that just, I, I would say two things, make sure you have, you're, you're not over leveraging yourself. That's been something that people have made mistakes. What, about. Do, you, what do you mean when you say that over leveraging means that you take on too much risk uh -huh. with the money that you're leveraging. So for example, if you, take a loan on a house and 
the house let's and let's say you take a very large loan so i'm going to give an like a you know an extreme example where you yeah. you, you take a loan of 95% you only, you put down 5% and then you um and then you keep and then you take a loan out yeah. for 95%. Now if that house ends up going down in value which has happened and is actually in happening in many places right now in the United States because of the the uh, the macroeconomic situation yeah um you may be in a situation where the house is worth less than your loan so if you sold the house today you actually will then owe the bank the difference oh so yeah. that's what yeah. I mean about over leveraging over leveraging uh -huh. is when you put too take too much too large of a loan and this applies to anything it applies to and, and, but it, it applies specifically to your situation that, that I think is important because of the way you're looking at it. Um, a debt is guaranteed. You always have yeah. to pay it. You may not, you may make money. And again, if your time frame is long enough in the stock market, you probably will make money. Yeah. But, you know, your, your car needs to be paid off in three to six years you may not make that money back in three to six years, depending on where you're investing that money. Right, um, right. Or even make it back in enough time to, um, to, to like keep up with your payments. Right. So that that's the risk. Now it, it's a it's a game. It's a high risk uh, strategy. You could do it. I'm, yeah. You know, I'm not saying it's a bad idea mathematically, um, but it just depends on like what your risk tolerance is and how. You know, what, what do you do if you end up underwater somehow? I heard that if your car debt identifies as a student loan debt, Joe Biden might give you a pass. <laughs> By all means, go for it. I'd like to see that play out. <laughs> all right. So step one was stay out of debt. Step one. Well, stay out or get out. Or get out. Get, yes. Because very, I mean, most people, unless they're fresh starting out, are start yeah are not starting from nowhere, and a lot of people, especially student loan debt, is exceedingly common. Unfortunately, yeah. um, and and then also credit card debt is so easy to, for people for young people, especially who are a little bit less educated about you know what it means to have a credit card and how to responsibly use one. Yes, get out of debt. Yeah. Okay. Actually, I would say a step one before that. Step Bef zero. Bef step zero, or is. Have an emergency, a small emergency fund. Okay. Just like you don't want it to be that your bank account has $200 in it and every single time you make money, like every paycheck that comes in goes toward your debt and then you blow a tire uh -huh. and suddenly you have to take, suddenly you're, you have to, again, put money on your credit card because you have no. So uh, I would say, I mean, the number is kind of arbitrary. How much should be your emergency? And this is right. truly an emergency fund. It's not like uh, I lost my job emergency fund. It's like, let's say $1,000. Dave Ramsey's uh, Baby Steps, he yeah. recommends $1,000. Who's Dave Ramsey? You, heard, you mentioned the name. Yeah, so Dave, Ram familiar, Dave Ramsey is a, he's, um, uh, he's a radio uh, talk show host. Okay. And he has a a whole he has a whole company called Ramsey Solutions uh -huh. where he he's developed a financial um i guess like a, a financial tool book uh -huh. for people to use how about and his main philosophy is get out of debt stay out of debt don't take on debt pay everything in cash um or cash equivalent i should say um not not literally you know using 100 dollar bills but like don't spend money you don't have effectively. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, and he's somebody who I I've read his stuff. I've listened to a lot of his uh, radio show and his podcasts, and I find him very compelling. And and he's definitely made me think more responsibly about how about how I spend my money. Um, there are situations that I personally disagree with him on, such as like basically what I said before: debt that can be leveraged mm -hmm. uh, safely. Uh, he would say, don't take out any loans at all. I would say, you know, no, no, there are certain places where you could take out a loan if you, f if you consider it a safe, reliable uh, situation where you're leveraging. Gotcha. Okay. So, and we'll, 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 uh, you'll send me a link to his stuff. We'll put it in the show notes, but yes, uh, sure. he sounds very conservative. Does he advocate for stock market um investment or no yes yes he does but but oh, so i so can go through no his debt. his steps okay his steps is step one he calls it the baby steps step one 
having a thousand dollars in your bank account. Uh-huh. That's your emergency fund. That is if the and if any if any situation happens later where you have to dig into that, stop everything and make sure you you recoup that thousand dollars. Yeah. Step two, pay off all debts. He has a formula also for how to pay off the debts. There's a there's a big debate among financial advisors is do you pay the debt with the largest interest rate first or do you pay the debt with the, the smallest balance first? Oh. Or, or there, no one says the one that is costing you the month most every month is that an alternate a number three? Well, I guess that- you, you know. Well, you can call it. I, I, I guess you can. You could think of it that way. But it's more about. Um, uh, it's it's the usually it depends on what type of debt it is, but usually the the actual number is capped. But yes, I guess you can think of it that way. Um, one is called the debt snowball. One is called the debt avalanche. Uh-huh. Avalanche <laughs> is like you attack the largest debt first. Um, cause that's costing you the most, like you said. Uh-huh. Um, and then the debt snowball is you attack the smallest debts first, uh, even if they're not the highest interest rate. And the, the idea being that the psychological feedback that you uh. get of like, I paid off that credit card and then I paid off that, that loan and I paid off that, like y- you feel better about it and you end up sticking it out versus like you, you know, if you, if you have a hundred thousand dollars in student loans and that's. And then like $10,000 in consumer debt, um, you may, uh, if you had tried to attack the, you know, the student loans first, it'll take you a really long time to pay it off or a lot longer time to pay yeah. it off than the other loan. So you might get disincentivized after a while because you don't see the, you don't see and feel the progress. Yeah. So that's the debt snowball versus debt uh, avalanche. Um, and he, he, Dave always advocates debt snowball, even though ma- the math would point to the debt avalanche, but for the psychological Psycholo- ben- yeah. benefits. Interesting. But that's you know that's something which I think is up to each person knowing themselves better. Uh-huh. What will work best for you? Like, do you need that psychological feedback, um, or do you just want to follow the math on it and attack it with the way that most makes the most mathematical sense? Uh huh. Interesting. So that's paying off debt. That's that is step two. Okay. Step three is to have a, a proper emergency fund. That means three to six months of of So it's different savings. than the step one emergency fund. Yes, because step one emergency fund is basically a way to just keep you out from, from like one, being one expense away from going back into debt or one emergency away from going back into debt. Okay. Like if, again, if you keep, if all you're doing is throwing every single, all the money at your, Actually, there is a step zero, which, or, or maybe we're going to step, <laughs> step zero is like, make sure you have your lights running, you have a roof over your head and you have food on your table. Ma- Maslow's hierarchy. Yeah, this is, right? yeah, make, this is make sure Maslow's that your hierarchy. shelter yes, and exactly. food, you know, is yes. taken care of before you go to the next level exactly, of the pyramid. Exactly. You don't want to be like, I'm not going to, I'm going to live on the streets because I want to pay off my credit cards. Right. So let's start with having, you know, your rent paid, your utilities up to date. Like don't, cause that will completely derail. You won't be able to uh, pay any debts if you're living on the streets. Yeah. You know, you're, and, and stop spending money on bullshit you can't afford if you're trying to get out of debt. I was listening. So, so you brought a book. What's the guy's name again? Uh, this book that I brought for listeners, it's called uh, I, w- I Will Teach You to Be Rich, and it's by Ramit Sethi. It's one of my, or Sethi, I'm not sure I pronounce his name. Yeah. He is, uh, this is the first book I read on this topic, and I think it's a it's an amazing book for beginners. Yeah. And he's got a whole bunch of, he's got a website, so, and he's got a bunch ha- of stuff. Have you listened to his podcast? I have not. I've listened so, to a few clips of it, but. Uh, Ellie turned me on to his podcast. Yes, I've been listening for like me. a month or two. I just, I, I never heard it before, and it's, it is great. Yeah, I'll link to that as well. But um, so he interviews. It's mostly couples. Okay. It's kind of like couples counseling around how they handle money, right? And they go through all their expenses, and and people are in debt, and they're paying for Netflix and Hulu, and, and they had like five different cell phone bills, and they had like two cars and five motorcycles, and it's like, yeah, priorities. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. 100%. I, I actually know that a situation where I, um, how do I say it without giving away any personal information? I, I, I know a, a situation of a family of a couple who were in, in filing bankruptcy. Uh huh. And, uh, and I, I was privy to the details of their finances. And they were driving like brand new cars. And 
they and had all this debt they, and they were they were so deeply in debt, but yet their cars were brand new. Like, yeah. and, and they're not just regular cars. Like, one was a Jaguar. Wow. Like it was, and I was like, you know, somehow. Like, then you kind of wonder how these people got in debt, but then you don't really wonder because <laughs> because and this is why they're in bankruptcy is because they don't have the financial discipline to know to not be spending money on this stuff that they don't need right when they're when they're not in their income or whatever their financial situation is not good yet yeah. they're still going out financing new cars and buying them and now they're in over their head so yeah. I, and once i saw that i was like this is so eye-opening to me because i've heard about situations like this but i never knew somebody personally where i actually see all their debts laid out in front of me uh -huh. and see see that you know they financed a car they leased this car like don't do like if you would have stopped three three steps earlier yeah. and like not gotten a new car or you know buy a used car yeah don't spend thirty thousand dollars on a new on a new car buy a five thousand dollar crappy car but it'll yeah. get you from point A to point B and that's what really all you need right then you wouldn't be in bankruptcy right now you want to be in bankruptcy bankruptcy court and be dealing with all that stuff so things like that it's financial discipline yeah. All right, so we got step negative one, step zero, step one, step two, step <laughs> yes. three was a, a new emergency fund. So a proper emergency, three to six months of living expenses. Okay. That's if you lose your job. That's if you have unexpected medical bills. Um, that's kind of more like, that's a proper emergency fund. Yeah. Are these emergency funds liquid cash? Are they liquid investments? Cash. Are they no, no, liquid cash in the bank. I personally keep mine in a either high yield savings. Actually, now I keep everything in a high yield savings account because the rates are pretty high. Yeah. Um, How high? I, I have personally have Ally at at a four point two five percent. I think my Fidelity, just regular money market accounts. So if I just because this is what the guy told me also that I didn't realize because I was using Ally and I was using Amex high yield, the Fidelity just for leaving your money. You don't have to invest in any stock. They get you get a higher interest rate just having your money in there is like four point eight or something like that. Yeah, you could find five percent also out there. Um, for me, it was like, how much is actually the difference between four point two five and five? Yeah, and well, it was just if like, I'm it using the really fidelity anyways, then it's just like, oh, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. If you're I don't already need using ten different it, bank accounts, exactly, exactly. You're right. It's it's it, as long as you're in the right ballpark and it's it is a high yield account. Um, that's the best place to park it. But you want it as you want it liquid. That's the yeah. important thing. You want it to be able to like if tomorrow you have an emergency, you could dig into that. Yeah. And you can pay for your expenses, and you don't have to sell. Um, like if you put it in the stock market, and the stock market went down that day, like now suddenly half your investment's gone, like that kind of thing. You don't you don't want it in anything that's not liquid. Right. You want okay. it as liquid as possible. So. As long as it's guaranteed, a, a savings yeah. account is guaranteed. A high yield savings account that's guaranteed. Even, up to even in a uh, up to two sixty five, right? Two ninety five. You guaranteed by the government. You're saying? What do you mean by guaranteed? I, I mean, it, you mean that well, it's there. It is not, guaranteed not by insured. the government. Yes, you're talking about it's there. Yeah, it's there. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. So that's as far as that goes. As as, as far as uh, having a liquid savings account. That's, yeah. That is guaranteed. Well, okay, secured maybe it's a better word than guaranteed, but it's secured and won't it won't go down. Sure, if you want to make some interest on it, especially nowadays that the that the the rates are pretty high, great, you'll make some interest on it. But even if you weren't collecting any interest, have that money available, sitting and available. I actually a few years ago when I did this, I when the rates weren't as high as they are now, I did it using like staggered CDs. Uh huh. So I would put I would have a CD that every it would expire every every three months. A CD is a certified deposit? It's a certificate. Of de certificate uh, I, of I believe it's a certificate. Of and you did it directly through the bank? Yes. And when you do that, you're basically locking your money up for three months. You're locking up for whatever the period is. Right. So yeah. it's I would do a year and then I did I had four different CDs and then I would stagger them so they each they each start and end three months after the, the next one. Oh, so you got like a withdrawal every few months. So basically, if if I needed to, every three months I had to have access to a quarter of my account. Uh -huh. uh, it, I didn't even do the whole thing. I kept. I think I still kept some money available. Um, I did it, and I did it because I knew because this way I can collect a little higher interest. Yeah. But it, I was more playing the game, you know. Now I just I don't even care anymore. I just keep it. 
I just keep it in one account. I don't need to deal with having different accounts because then you need to, it's a, a little bit of a pain when you're yes. trying to report your taxes. You have so many different accounts. Each account needs to be reported individually. Um, yes. It's, you know, it, it's more like, do you want to really try to play the game and get every single penny out of the interest? Yeah, sure. I can play the game also if I find the highest yield savings account. Right. I could do that too. But like at a certain point, it just was <laughs> like, it's not worth all the, the hassle. But that is step three. I think we're on step three. Yes. <laughs> that that is step three, emergency fund. Step four is, uh, is to, is retirement. Okay. Or, or is to start saving toward retirement. Okay. Most people in their 20s and 30s don't think about this that much. Maybe if you're in your 40s, start. By the time you're in your 50s, you'd better be thinking about this because you're not too far from retirement. Um, but really, you should be even, you know, when your first job, for earliest moment possible, you should start thinking about, uh, about saving money for retirement because Social Security is not very much. I don't know if it'll be around by the time I retire. Who knows? Hope not. <laughs> It's like I selfishly want it, but I just like it's such a bad system. Yeah, yeah. In any event, <laughs> I wouldn't rely on it. Yes. Definitely don't rely on it. Rely on yourself. There's some really good tax incentivized or, or just really some really good tax structures you can use between using uh, an IRA, a Roth IRA, especially is even better, in my opinion, uh, 401ks or four or three, whatever, depending yeah. on your employer. But save for retirement um, as much as you could. If you can max out, I would say like don't maybe f- cap it at either the max or fifteen percent of your income, depending on whichever one's high, oh, whichever one's lower. The max or fifteen percent, whichever one's lower. Yes. Well, so you can't exceed the max, but I wouldn't right. tell everyone to do the max if because let's say for a uh, let's give an example of a, of an IRA. So the the max for a traditional IRA uh, um, it, this year I believe is twenty two thousand five hundred dollars. I could be wrong, but in but for a lot of people, saving $22,500 a year is more than 15% of their annual income. So right. don't, don't spend all your, don't throw all your extra money into there. Like you need to save some money for other stuff. Was there a point uh, with uh, income level where you're not allowed to contribute to an IRA or uh, a Roth? You're, you're thinking of a, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I, you're, you're right. I misspoke. I meant to say 401k. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. IRA, you're right. You're right. Uh, there is for a Roth IRA as well as a Roth 401k, but there, there is uh, an income li- limit. Correct. For, for the IRA. For the but IRA. For the 401k. For, for the Roth. For the Roth IRA. Traditional IRA, I can contribute every year regardless yes. of. Yes. Interesting. I have to look into that. Yes. Okay. And what you could do, and this is the backdoor um, IRA method that that a lot of people use. Yeah, it's just called a fun word. Are you familiar with? The, <laughs> I've heard I've heard the word. Expl- explain it. Explain. Yeah, it. it's it's really it's actually it's kind of like a, a stupid loophole in the tax law, but it's totally like legit. Yeah. Um, is that while the IRS doesn't allow you to directly contribute to a, if you if you exceed it, if you're not eligible to contribute to a Roth IRA directly. You can put your money into a traditional IRA and then convert the account into a and tra- into a Roth IRA. And you so, could do that even if you've exceeded the income limit. Yes, which is why it's called backdoor because you're kind of coming around the back and getting still getting in a uh, a Roth IRA. You will have to pay taxes on it, but that's what you would do anyway if you were contributing to a Roth IRA. Oh, interesting. So, so people, I, people I, do that every year. Traditional IRA, you don't pay taxes now. You pay taxes when you withdraw. Roth IRA, you pay taxes now. You don't pay when you withdraw. Correct. So a, a reverse door, back door uh, would be uh, not paying taxes, putting it in a regular IRA, and then doing a conversion so that and, – and then you have to pay taxes at the moment of conversion, and then when you take it out, you don't pay taxes. Correct. And it's that's a- more beneficial paying taxes now than paying taxes later – why is that? Well, for most people's tax situation, because you're going to assume that you're, that the, there, there's a number of assumptions, but if you're, let's say you're, I'm going to make up numbers here, but approximately round numbers. If you're 30 years old and you have $10,000, let's say 5,000, because you, because it's actually exceeding the max. But if you have, if you have $5,000 you want to put into uh, a, an IRA and you don't plan to take that out for another 35 years when uh-huh. you're 65, Whatever amount you, you pay on taxes now, let's say, let's say I'm going to say you're paying 20%. So you're paying $1,000 in taxes. You're left with four grand. 
And then that four grand is going to grow. And by the time you're, let's say it'll double every every 10 years. So you take it out when you're 70. At four grand, after 10 years, it's going to be eight grand. After after 20 years, it's going to be 16 grand. After 30, and then 32 grand. So it'll, it will grow to that. And then it will be 32 grand that's now fully tax-free accessible to you when you retire. Okay. If you do the math for the same the same thing, but you start out with five grand, you do the math, but then you have to take out the uh-huh. the much high the, the most likely a higher tax rate in the but future. But isn't your tax rate based on income? And if you're retired, isn't your income lower? Well, it yes, I know, but also keep one thing in mind: the assumption is, and this is not true for everybody. The assumption is that when you're younger, your tax rate will be lower. Yes. Because your income will be lower. Also, uh, because of inflation, and this is a whole other topic, but because of inflation um, and the way the tax brackets are not are not hinged on, are not linked to inflation, uh-huh. you end up over time, like even people in a, lower, in, in a lower income will be at a higher tax bracket. Right. And that's, unless that changes, which I don't see it changing anytime soon, um, you'll end up, you'll end up always being in a higher tax bracket later not it's not a guarantee but most people will end up being in a higher tax bracket later in life yes than than um than what they than where they are when they're younger well they'll be at a higher tax bracket as they progress in their career but once they retire shouldn't their tax bracket be on the lower side because they're not i don't know because assuming that you're keeping the same look if you've planned appropriately then you're st- whatever you're going to be withdrawing to keep maintain your uh, lifestyle. Oh, that's all income. Yeah, that's income. So yeah. if that's being taxed as income, then presumably it's going to be taxed e- somewhat equivalent to what you would have been making before you retired. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so we got our three to six months. Uh, and then we have 15% to about retirement. retirement. 15% or whatever the, the max that you can. The max that you can includes... Roth IRAs, regular IRAs, backdoor IRAs, 401ks. What else? Stock purchase plans. Yeah, stock purchase. Yeah, all the sorts of stuff. There's all sorts of. There's also like if you're if you if that's if you're if you're a for profit, if you're self-employed, you can open a uh, self-employed. There's 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 a tax entity for that, a tax vehicle for that. If you work for a nonprofit, there's a tax vehicle for that. You know, for There's a whole bunch of different, um, but it's all the same idea. It's an employer-based uh, retirement savings account, uh, which has tax advantage, is yeah. advantages. Um, beyond that, then, then you're kind of at the point where like, you know, now keep putting money, keep saving money, um, but, you're at the point where you're growing wealth. Okay. If you're already at this step, you know, maybe put another 15% away of your income into like a individual, individual, uh, you know, savings account, not savings, not savings, but like individual portfolio. Uh-huh. Um, but at that point it's like, you know, then it comes down to, you know, if you still have more money after all that, spend it. Cause you know? it's hate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, you're entitled to, you worked hard. You've, you've beaten, you've gotten all these steps down um, you're still doing well. Now, now you can enjoy your wealth. And that's kind of like the end goal is to be at that point where you're debt free, you're fully funded, uh, emergency account and you have a fully, you're, you're fully contributing, you're maxing out to your, your 401ks, uh, and your IRAs and your retirement stuff. And you're, you're saving money. If you have kids and you're saving money for their college account beyond that, it's your money. Go have fun with it. Yeah. That's that that is the true feeling of having wealth is knowing that you can spend money and you're not spending money that you need for other stuff. Yeah. So small, uh, not really counterpoint, but just a question, because, you know, they say youth is wasted on the young. <laughs> and as you get older, you know, you're like, oh, I should have did that when I was younger type of thing. Sure. And uh, if 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 you're if you've done steps one through five. Um, and you, it wasn't until, uh, you know, you're in your fifties, you know, where you're able to get to that step five, you know, so until that point in your life, maybe you're, you're holding back, you're not doing anything extravagant, whatever. But now when you're older, you have the money now, you have the wealth, 
but you don't you no longer want to do those things you kind of wish you did them but you don't want to do them now yeah <laughs> I, I i that's a fair argument and, and i think you so i would i would point out two things first of all when you're younger, your three to six months expenses are lower. If, yeah. you, don't, if you don't get into debt when you're younger, then then you don't have to pay off debt. Yeah. So you don't have that issue, um, and uh, and you can contribute to retirement and still have plenty left over. Like it's not, it's you, it's not like you're going to need to wait till you're fifty till you have X, X to get to step six. Right. You can be at step six at twenty, and you're doing great. Right. Um, and, and probably if 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 you're in a state of uh, of debt that you can't get out of until you're 50, you probably did do those yeah, things. Yeah, exactly. That was the thing I was going to say. It's like, well, you already did those things. That, yeah. That's how you got yourself into this into this yeah. hole to start with. So it, that comes back to, and then and the last one I want to make is is the very first point I made, which is, what are your life goals? You know what? If you're okay with having very little money to retire, I don't. I personally wouldn't do it. I don't think it's a good idea. But like, if you are perfectly fine retiring in a camper van and you know, in the side of the Everglades or something like that, then then you're right. You don't need to be saving very much money and uh, and go have fun when you're young. But the idea of building wealth is getting to a point at any age. It doesn't have to be when you're 50, but at any age that you feel like you feel like you could spend money, you have money to spend and you're going to be financially secured to still be financially secured to get to your financial goals, depending on what your life goals are. Right. Um, how much money should I be putting into Bitcoin? (laughs) (laughs) In my opinion, once you've gotten to step six, as much as you have, (laughs) yeah, go crazy. (laughs) That, that all that money is how much you, whatever you want to spend. All right, cool. Um, what are some common mistakes that people make, uh, throughout this process? I think people find it too easy to get into debt and Uh spend too much time justifying why this debt makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, why this is okay because, and people will go through really convoluted degrees of rationalization of like, well, if I do this and I do that, then you know, if I buy this car and I finance it, but then I rent it on Turo, then, you know, that <laughs> and then like, yes, it could work, but it's very common that you just really want this nice car. Yeah. Yeah. And you give yourself, you make excuses in your head that you, to justify it. But unless you're really disciplined about it, you're probably not going to actually follow through or you're not going to make as much money as you think you're going to make on Turo or someone's going to trash your car, like that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. So I think people tend to be overly, like just know it, know that you want a nice car and yeah. that's outside of your financial means. And if you're okay with that and you change your financial goals and your financial goal right now is just to have a nice car, you know, everything else be damned, then just recognize that. But don't yeah. try to you justify, know, it. justify it with these convoluted schemes. Like just see right through it. No, just identify that that's bullshit. Yeah. That, that definitely makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Brad, we are getting to the end of our time. All right. I want to thank you again for joining me. Before you leave, what is one thing, if you had to choose only one thing, that you want me and all of our listeners to know about financial planning? Educate yourself. Treat debt as a very, very dangerous tool. And make a lot of money. Now I know. <laughs> right. Awesome, dude. <laughs>